Carrying huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite to the conditions he won in Lords. Rain so close. They're getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is going to do it. He's going to smash the time. Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. Yo, how's it? Welcome back, world. Moving the Needle podcast. If you're new to the show, thanks so much for downloading. I like to break down the world of mountain biking as well as other sports, and I threaten to branch off. Um, we'll get some other sort of successful people on the show. We've had coaches, we've had downers, we've had cross-country riders, and this is a little different. This is sort of our world of mountain biking with myself, Andrew Nietling Needles, and my co-host, Miles Kelsey, an old friend of mine, as well as an ex Masters World Champion at Downhill. So much experience. We've had a lot of fun with these sort of listener question, random shows, breaking down maybe common trends in mountain biking, solving life's mysteries, you know. So, uh, Miles, this is episode four. We've got some artwork. We've got a caricature of ourselves. I can't even say that word, but Sven's already sent a message about that. He's got a question. Where's his? So, we'll get to all those. But um, it's been a little while. And you've had an awesome trip to to the Port de Soleil Morzine area, so you are jazzed on downhill bikes again. But I know you ride a lot of bikes. So how are we doing? I'm doing good. Hello to everyone. Um, I'm always happy that I've won up Sven Martin. Doesn't happen often, so sorry about that, Sven. Yeah, he's a. You know, yeah, I love getting texts from Sven because it's not always. Uh, Sven likes to give feedback. We, we've we've nailed it down that it's not criticism anymore, it's feedback, but I love it because now, you know, sometimes I won't get some answers, but then we get a response to where's his little uh, cartoon artwork, so we might have to work on one for Sven since he contributes so much to the podcast, but uh, I'm stoked to have you back as a sort of a more regular co-host on this random show, which is gaining traction, we're getting some cool questions in, and uh, we're heading into summer for us. Race season is done, though, so that's kind of a bummer, isn't it? Yeah, it's a big bummer. I uh, always looked forward to the racing, and uh, now even the outdoor motocross, which I'm also a bit of a fan of, is done for now. So, uh, yeah, we got uh, – but at least it's summer. Here in the Southern Hemisphere, it's summer, so long days, lots of riding. i got lots of bikes coming to review, uh, lots of bikes coming to test soon, so I'm pumped about that. Some stuff I can talk about, some stuff I can't talk about yet. So really pumped about that. So my side, i got lots to look forward to. I'm pumped. <laughs> yeah, I just came off uh, the Scott Athlete Summit. It was the first global one they did where they got all the athletes together. What what an honor. Um, you know, Scott Sports, people know uh, the biking side, but they've obviously got running, uh, motorsports, you know, like hard enduro, motocross, these runners. This one guy is a runner and a parasailer, and he did – how much vertical feet he can ascend and de descend in 24 hours. So he ran up the steep hill and then parasailed down and then did that for 24 hours. No. So uh, there were some incredible athletes there. We got together for three days and, uh, you know, shared ideas, came up with some potential concept. If some people saw my story, you know, I think I've got a billion dollar idea there, you know, another new avenue for Scott to go into. But, you know, if they don't want to take it, I might have to shop it somewhere else. So um, I've uh, I've come off an incredible Italian uh, trip there. Uh, also some stuff we can't talk about, or I can't talk about, so that's going to be exciting. 
And then they ended up with a photo shoot, which was pretty epic, some cool ridge lines. And then I got hit by a racing drone. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I was on a ridge line. While you, like... No, like uh, while I was riding, we were I was so excited about this ridge line. It looked really awesome. Um, and, Is it because uh, you're too tall? <laughs> no, it hit me in my ass. He literally physically oh. just crashed the race drone into me. It's the first time it's happened. I've I've had some close encounters, and I think Brendan's been hit in the arm because you're always happy okay. for them to get close because you're going to get a better shot, right? But um, this thing came whizzing, smashed my into my ass. I honestly was shouting, screaming. People thought I'd fallen off this cliff, this like ridge line, because it oh. was, uh, it was just burning, and I just thought I'd yeah <laughs> rip my pants and more. And this poor drone went two hundred foot down the down the cliff. Anyway, we found it. We've got the footage. So uh, more to come on that later. Okay, that sounds interesting. Yeah, since uh, since we lost at a show, I, as you said earlier, um, dropped into Morzine for a bit of a bike holiday, a bit of a bit of a chill out session, and uh, so I was there peak season, which is late July, early August, uh, three weeks there. Had some mates over, also from South Africa. Actually, there's a big South African contingent there all summer, but um, it was a first bike holiday in France. That I've that I've been on. I've obviously been to Europe to race many times before, and this was like dedicated bike holiday. And what a different experience! Uh, you know, usually when you go over to race, you don't want to ride too much. You want to stay fresh. You don't drink too much beer, and uh, you ride a little stiff because you are wanting to stay healthy for the race. And um, I've been doing that for like 22 years. So this time I was. Finally decided bike holiday on the cards, and it was just incredible being on a bike holiday, just shredding uh, all day. Um, that was the one side of it. The second side of it is, it's quite. It's I've heard a lot about Morzine, so I've been to Andorra and Pralu and uh, Sierra Nevada, Hafjell, Norway. So I've been a been to a fair amount of uh, venues in Europe to ride, but. Always heard how good Morzine was, but I was like, yeah, it's probably, you know, everyone always bangs on about it. Like, how good can it be? And rah, rah, rah. And well, I was just blown away, just completely blown away. So, as a guy who's recently celebrated his second 25th birthday, I can tell you then. Second 25th. <laughs> I was waiting to hear what the second was going to be. Um, yeah, second 25th birthday. So, um, you know, Morzine has, I can I can tell everyone, Morzine has something for everyone. So whether you're rookie, whether you're young, whether you're mature like me, uh, there's trails for everyone and there's a lot of riding on offer, a lot of great riding on offer. I was very fortunate that Duran showed me around, showed us around for the first two, three days, and then we just stayed right. We just rode with him for the whole two, three weeks of the trip. And Duran knows all all the good spots. So we, um, you know, day one, we did 70 Ks. We did like 6,000 meters on lifts. And we went all the way, um, Swiss National, all the way to Morjan, and then back again through Chatel, everything. So there's just so much riding to do there. And I can't, I was blown away by, just long story short, I was blown away by how good it is. Like, it is really incredible. I think Worcester might probably one-up uh, Morzine, 
but uh, I was there at the busiest time of the year. There were like 20-minute queues for the lifts. It was funny for me as a South African. I'm quite used to standing in a lift to get on a pickup truck for 20 minutes, and it's not a big deal for me. But it was interesting sitting in the queue, looking at the locals getting frustrated because it's peak season and they're waiting 20 minutes for a lift. And I'm super chilled. And and, uh, so, yeah, incredible experience despite the braking bumps, which were pretty wild because it's peak season and because it was uh, there were a lot of people there this year. uh, just a absolute incredible experience, but you do need a downhill bike. I think I don't think it's the place you should go to with a trail bike. You can go to with a trail bike, but um, to get the full experience, you want to go on a DH bike. Well, I've lost the question, but I could have sworn there was a question on between our opinions. What do we rate higher, Whistler or this Morzine Porte de Soleil? But I don't know where I'm looking at these questions. I can't pinpoint it, but. It's 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 awesome that you got to do it, and you mentioned trail bike versus DH bike. I mean, it depends if you're a only have a trail bike and you've only ever ridden one, you hundred percent can go to both places because they have trails that are maybe not as gnarly or as steep. I would say Morzine's almost a bit more rough around the edges, um, but their trail maintenance is getting a lot better. They're adding to the trails. Obviously, there's professional trail builders. You go to that area called Morjan. I know Ben Walker very well that heads up that crew that builds there. Um, and because you've got sort of different owned little zones or, or these chairlifts, there's a different style of trail, isn't there, in all these different zones. And I think what makes Morzine awesome, onto that question, is if you base yourself in Morzine, it's a ski village, and then you hop on lifts and you access your way to other ski villages which could take an hour by car, but it could take 20 minutes by these lifts. You're just going over the mountains and then you head up in Switzerland, you have lunch there. So on a good day, you go for more like an extended adventure. Um, There's incredible variety. Um, I think cost is probably a bit lower. And then Whistler is sort of the home of the bike park. It's where it originated. And for me, it's hard to not say it is a, a bucket list place that you need to see the quality of trails, the variety, how professionally well they're built. You know, they've been adapting these trails over so many years after being the founders of the style that they've got the flow almost perfect on some trails where you barely have to break. And, and yes, there's some big jumps, but it's really safe. So they sort of were ahead of the game and have had more time, but if you go during crankworks, you know, it's sort of one lift from the village that you go up. So there's some lift lines. Um, and then you get to the mid station, then it starts getting a bit better. Or you cruise over into Creekside. They are adding a few more zones, but um, you sort of deal with sort of more queues here and there. Um, but you have just an incredible town. You know, you've got a million restaurants, bars, nightclubs. So it's a different vibe. So. If you're a couple mates and you ride down or bikes and you've got – so just remove money and time from the equation. So wherever you are in the world, if you are wanting to do a downhill bike uh, week, 10 days, whatever it is, holiday with your mates, um, and you can only do this once, where oh, would you go? Would you go – would you, so you, you Needles, would you go to Whistler or Morzine? It's so tough because I don't want to uh, have any backlash, but I think <laughs> – Man, I've had so much fun in both, but there's just something about the energy we get when all the lads are in Whistler. 
Okay. So I'd probably pick that if there's, you know, no stress of long flights and money's, you know, out of the equation. If, yeah. uh, but I, I think now you have to do both <laughs> as, yeah. as me I sitting on the touched... fence there. I like, I yeah. think you kind of need to do both now because Morzine's caught up and they've, they've got, they've got something going there as well with the, you know, the variety and, you know, going on these adventures but for like, if you just have a week, just want to go with your mates and you want to have a really good time, I, I think Whistler probably still tops that. Yeah, I think you touched on something there which is so crucial. It's about the crew that you're with. I mean, you could go to the well, best destination true, yeah. in your world and if you're not sharing it with, with mates or with people you care about, then it's it, uh, it takes away a little bit from the experience. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good question, and and it's getting even tougher to answer because there's so many cool places. I was in Aosta Valley, um, and they've the place they've built an awesome hub uh, where they base their shuttles from, and then you've got Pila Bike Park, but then you've got this valley, and obviously, sort of, if you're looking up the valleys for me on the left, it's a different type of terrain, and on the right, it's drier, and then you can also get a shuttle up and then pedal another hour and a half and then descend over 2,000 meters back on these old sort of hiking trails that have been adapted. So that's more trail bike, but I just, the world of mountain biking is just exploding on, on that side. So um, that's something to check out as well for trail bike. You know, if you just trail bikes and you want to go with the, with your crew, yeah, that is a, an awesome point, Miles. It is also about your crew, isn't it? Yeah. So um, more zines got me for next year when I when I landed back in South Africa after my trip this year. I uh, booked and paid for everything for next year, so I'm going going back to Morzine for a month next year, and, and I can't wait. That's amazing. Well, we might as well sneak into some more of these questions. Uh, thanks, guys, for sending them in. Definitely keep sending them. Yes, we took a little while to get back to you, but I made notes of them. We'll try on some most or all of them. All right, so listen to question for next time. How do we make, speaking of, you know, we spoke about money, no object, but how do we make good bikes more affordable? As a passion mountain biker, I know what it's like to ride great quality gear and it's pricey. That's true. Good suspension, good brakes, good drive tank. It isn't cheap. With Geo now stabilizing, where does affordability gains come now into play? I usually invest up front and I don't change my bikes often, so I can just justify the spend but for new players, decent bikes with solid specs are relatively affordable. Is a holy grail. Great question. Great point. Uh, this pandemic's been incredible. I've I've read a few articles. They're sort of saying that maybe uh, now that the supply chains catch up and all the people that got into the bike industry with a pandemic, maybe the end consumer is going to start getting better deals. Uh, that's one point, but he's saying maybe for longevity of affordability, it is a, it is the holy grail. You know, once you start getting a bit more educated, stuff is not cheap. Yeah, I, I, uh, I think there's two things here that spring to. That's a great question, but I think there's and a long a, a topic we could talk about all day. But I think there's two things for me that spring to mind. One, um, bike pricing has never come down. You can go back three decades. The prices of bikes, of the top-end stuff, has never come down. So don't expect uh, your XX1 or XTR bike to become more affordable in the future. But I do think that 
the affordability now will creep in because geo as you said is stabilized so you can now buy a bike and it's going to be relevant for five years it's going to it's not going to be not going to undergo a massive geometry update every three years those we've we're done with those now those are it's minor tweaks so if you make an investment it's probably something you can ride for longer now um, and i think that will uh, inadvertently make it more affordable um, and then actually just a just an add-on um, the mid-level spec stuff is so good these days so like SRAM GX uh, Shimano SLX it's so good these days um, and so bomb proof that you yes you're going to go through drive trains and you're going to go through brake pads and you're going to need to service your suspension but the stuff lasts a lot longer and it's a lot more robust these days. So I think that's where the affordability comes in. I don't know that at retail, at price point, when, you, when you're shopping, that things are suddenly going to become 20% uh, more affordable. Um, what do you think? No, I think that's brilliant points. And it's, we spoke a little bit off air um it's a known fact that geometry has stabilized a bit innovation has stabilized a bit for lack of a better term you know the dropper is here the disc brake is here good suspension is here and every manufacturer's got pretty good geometry and then it's fine tuning it so like you said obviously there's people that want the newest of the new i mean that's what keeps the industry going i love it i mean it's i'm very spoiled but if you're not, um, with wheel sizes stabilizing as well, and maybe some brands saying committing to mullet or 29er, you're not losing out if you commit to um, a bike for two, three years, and then you upgrade some things that do wear out. And like you said, like a Shimano XT, I choose that for some of my bikes as well. I know how robust it is. Uh, obviously, I'm spoiled. Uh, I get sent the XTR, but I also promote the XT because it is so good, right? So that's one down. And then the same can be said SLX and, and other brands as well. So you might add a little bit of weight in theory on paper, but it, it lasts well. And um, touch wood, haven't broken a carbon wheel in a long time. So even carbon wheels, if you invest in that, those things are lasting a lot better than they used to. Um, yeah, good so, so So parts are a little bit more robust. So maybe the savings like, this gentleman said, I, I didn't note his name, but thanks so much for the question. It's a brilliant question because it's what we spoke about. You know, where is the industry going? If innovation is now just going to be a lot so more, more incremental with these geometry you know, changes, you know, if you on a bike from two years ago, you're still going to have as much fun. I just like to see top manufacturers when they release a new model, when it's a gravity bike, so trail enduro gravity bike, that there's a a top level spec that's with an alley frame that you can buy off the shelf or off the off the floor. So I, I hold, just like to hold s- hold the space. Oh, okay, okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I just like I think consumers need the option of like here's a carbon bike, top spec. It's say eight thousand uh, euro, and then here's the same spec. It's XTR. It's factory. It's whatever. It's the top, top spec, but it's aluminum frame, and it's 6,000 euro. So, you know, you're saving a bit of weight. So maybe if you're a racer, you want to go a little bit lighter, or maybe you don't, who knows. But 
there's a 2,000 euro saving on a on an alley option, and you're going to get a similar ride quality because it's top top level suspension, brakes, drivetrain. Yeah, that's a great point. I hope we answered his question, but I think he helped us answer it for other people as well. So that that was pretty damn brilliant. Moving on, I'll do one more from my side, Miles, and you can maybe check yours. Uh, excellent podcast as always, Needles. Thank you very much. I appreciate all the feedback. I read it. I see the reviews. I also see the 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 constructive feedback I get, and I take it on board. Uh, question and answer is always a laugh out loud podcast. In reference to circumcised or non-circumcised question, if a non-circumcised rider is considered slow, does that also make them a complete penis? <laughs> So for full, that is brilliant. I thought we nailed it, but this guy has completely nailed it. So for full context, in the last podcast, if I remember, I can find the question. I think they sort of said, you know, is a non-circumcised or circumcised rider foster? And we riffed on that. Pretty funny. This guy has killed it, but he wants a question. I mean, in theory, he is a complete penis. Just factious. 100%. I mean, thank you for the question. What a legend. That's, that's brilliant. Okay, I think let's move on to one of my questions. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. Um, all right. So, Matthew Drake. Uh, and you got you did a whole podcast on concussions recently, but Matt, which maybe spurred Matthew to send this question. Uh, what gives with all the concussions within the race scene this year? Um, I think he's referring to, to Tani, Reese, Finn, everyone. It's, um, it seems more so than in the past. So he's saying, are the helmets crap? Are the speeds higher? Or are people just more aware of the symptoms? Then you guys raced for many years. What have you learned about concussions in your racing time? Hmm. Um, I... Uh, yeah, I think um, there's more awareness, and it's good. We need even more awareness. Um, I think that uh, concussions are very, very serious. I think the speeds are a bit higher on some of the tracks. Some of the some of the tracks are more wide open, you know, faster than a lot. Well, I think a lot of the downhill race tracks are faster than in I don't know ten years ago when you were racing. What do you think, Needles? Faster tracks. Yeah, definitely. And the equipment um, and the bike technology um, has helped riders go quicker. I mean, I haven't got the stats to look at a similar track at Fort William and look at the overall speeds, but for damn sure, I'll be able to go faster on my current Gambler than uh, my old race bikes, even some of the good race bikes. That That is a, is a fact on, on some of the tracks. 100% the speeds are higher. The helmets are not crapper, let's be honest. That technology's come on a long way, so it's a fair question. But no, the helmets are not crap, especially on the downhill side. I mean, some of the, sh- honestly, some of the shit I had to run back in the day is, well, I guess yeah. we didn't we didn't have the technology, but it was really dangerous. So, yeah. you, so this you're totally right. Of... His his points are very valid, and you've riffed on them. How many, uh, uh, like, did you, when you were racing, how many, like, can you remember any bad concussions you had on your side? 100%. Uh, no, I can't remember many of them, but yeah, apparently I had some. <laughs> apparently I, mean, I had you were, some. That you, were, that okay, you so, like, skipped, skipped a race yeah, or something. But this, um, 
a stick man and I had a had a great conversation of this and uh, definitely going to try to get him on. He's been around the scene for a long time. And it's also a question he's bringing up. What's going on here? So, yes, all his questions are valid and how I would answer it. Speeds are higher. We are more aware of the symptoms and the dangers. So back in the day, you know, there were athletes. Philip Polk was incredible. Downhiller did some street racing. I mean, he knocked himself out in Germany on the Saturday. Knocked himself out, went to hospital, and then came back and raced on the Sunday. That's not going to happen in this day and age, as it shouldn't. But we didn't know back then. There was no protocol. The Those movies weren't out there to scare us to take uh, a, a proper hard look. So for Niles, um, because he's also got the support of a factory team, because he's also got that win this year, his contract's pretty secure wherever he decides to go. I'm not saying he's going anywhere. I don't know that. But what I'm saying is we're obviously seeing the higher-profile athletes verbalize that they're not racing, or we all know they're not racing, and they can give this valid valid excuse. I use the word valid. Some people might say, shit, but are they just using it as an excuse? Well, we don't know. It's so tough to know what damage you've done. So when Finnall says, I'm not feeling myself, at least he's being honest, and he says, that's probably due to hitting my head. Do I need to take three days off? Do I need to take a week off? That's super gray and what we're all getting more knowledge about. Uh, back in yeah. the day, G famously has had some big crashes. He raced. I myself, I'm not calling anyone out. I myself have, have wanted to race and stubbornly probably did race. So, yeah, I think it's a sort of quite a complex answer. Um, and all those things together, we're getting, we as fans are seeing more of it. Yeah, I've had some experience there, and I think I've got two tips on this, two valid points for anyone listening at home. So uh, high-speed high speed downhill section, uh, someone crossed the track uh, without looking, I T-boned them, big crash, uh, and resulting concussion. Concussion was about, actually stayed with me for about six weeks. Um, and in the beginning, I thought, I'm just going to, you know, like we athletes, we just like, oh, I'm just going to ride it out. So I, in the beginning, I was like, no, oh, a little bit of mild exercise and, you know, keep keep working on my core. And I, I kept doing stuff and kept getting my heart rate up. And eventually I found, so this is like seven years, seven, eight years ago. Eventually I found someone who, gave me some good advice at the time. And the advice was zero cardio. You have to do zero cardio. You cannot get your heart rate up because of the inflammation. So the, the, the route and the, the way to recover from a concussion is zero cardio. There's a whole lot of other things, but the zero cardio thing was a big takeout for me from that concussion. Um, the second big learning curve for me or and slash piece of advice I can give people is quite simple. If you think you might be concussed, but you're not sure. So if you've had an off and you think you might be concussed, but you're not sure, that's usually when you are concussed. <laughs> that yeah. honestly is usually when Absolutely. you are concussed. So you're not kind of a hundred percent sure, but you're not feeling normal, then you're concussed. Like that's it. And there's mild versions of it, right, Miles? And I think we're not doctors. We're definitely not concussion experts, but we've been forced to educate ourselves and uh, it's come up on the podcast. 
There's an awesome one for Matthew, I think you said the name was. Uh, go back, and it's Dr. Ewan Spirits. I've probably butchered his name a bit. Epic guy, and he does, he's the doctor for Crankworks now. So, and he works a lot with concussion and, and all the other injuries. So, we're not doctors, but it is called a return to play policy or uh, protocol. And what it means is, you know, once you've been diagnosed and you've been sent to rest, like like Miles has said, and, and it's often, like I say, don't take my word for it. Do your own research. Consult doctors. You know, it's uh, off all electronics, off screens, dark room. I mean, there's been athletes that said they couldn't really be around a harsh light because you obviously your eyes and things are all affected. And then when you feel normal, like you said, oh, I feel normal, then you go to step one and that's go for a walk. Raise the heart rate a little bit. Okay, I've no, and, and no symptoms come back. You can go to phase two. That might be a light jog. But at the minute a symptom comes back, you've got to go back a step. And that's this return to play where you spoke about heart rate. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a long-winded way. I think we've answered this question, and it's something we're going to carry on learning. But I've got like a, an elbow niggle. And I used to get it when I was racing and sometimes in the start gate. And it might be from inflammation because I've been a bit uh, on holidays just before I got back here. Um, so a few uh, adult sodas probably don't help with inflammation. Now, this could have been an old injury that I pushed through, that I heroically rode through, right? So now am I going to pay for it when I get older, when I get two times 25 birthdays, you know, eventually. <laughs> but I'm... I'm okay with that, right? It's not ideal. Might have needed to be smarter. But with your head, you don't get to have a niggle in your elbow. You, you, you know, it could affect yeah. you seriously, emotionally yeah. as well as uh, mentally, memory, all these things. We don't know. And that's why some people say it's just they're taking a lot of time off. It's like we just don't have the facts. We don't have the x-rays. You know, the MRI data is not as clear. I, like I say, I'm not a doctor, but, you know, I'm – from watching that As movie, a lot of the symptoms you can only diagnose upon someone's death if you then study the brain. Yeah. Super, and super gnarly and scary. Full credits to the teams, the team owners, and allowing athletes space and time to, if they have had a concussion or, or are not well, full credits to the teams this year who have put their budgets aside and their targets aside and, and allow the athletes to take as much time as they need. That is really impressive. Yeah, definitely. And then to the privateers and the guys struggling out there to get a ride or keep a ride, guys, it's not worth it. I'll just say it feels yeah. like it's the only thing in the world right now, um, but it, it really isn't. I sound like an old geezer, but looking back, and look, I did sit out a race and I technically didn't get renewed that year. Not because of that, but, you know, maybe if I'd race and got a result, who knows? But now looking back, I, I, I have no regrets for sitting out when I felt I had not recovered yet. And, and another thing, you're probably not going to ride as well as you think you could ride. Because like you said, when you think you have a concussion, things are not firing like they should. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. I've got a question. Another question. Or read a question. Listen to a question. Um, Jose Luis Alvarez my family and business have both expanded recently and I don't have a lot of time to ride anymore, so I'm shopping for an EMTB. Good man. Would you recommend a full or mid-power EMTB? Which ones have you ridden? Which ones do you like? Okay. What do you say, Needles? 
oh, I thought you were going to answer it. You've definitely got um, the experience on this. You might have sneakily read some of the mid-power ones. What I yeah, say is uh, we needed we needed more context on it, though, because I'll just say what type of riding does he enjoy doing? Us, we come from okay. a gravity background, so the full power makes a lot of sense. Just get me to the top. I can handle the extra weight. If you still want to get a lot of fitness out of your ride, then maybe the mid-power one is for you. But you can tone down the full power ones, right? So it's up to yes. you how much fitness you get. But it's how do you want the bike to handle coming down? But I do think in the future, these, these mid-power ones that are going to be super light compared to the current ones make a lot of sense, don't they? But yeah. if you're, a, if you're a, a rider that doesn't get off the ground that much, are you a rider that's quite new to the sport? This little bit of extra weight helps with traction. You put some beefy tires on. Um, there's a lot of stability to these full-powered ones that weigh a bit more. But we need to understand where he rides, what his trails look like, and, and all that. Yeah, completely agree. I think the full power is great for gravity guys who want to do multiple laps and got like a set 90 minutes time frame um, and who don't mind the extra weight. Uh, the downsides of a full power bike are maybe the ride quality and ride feel is a little muted and um, it's it's safe. The weight, as you said, gives you good traction and it's safe, um, but you don't get that same feeling as you, as what you do on a on a the, the small nuances I'm talking about is what you do on an enduro or downhill bike, um, but then the the mid power EMTB. You, you can still cover the same amount of distance as the full powers. You just move a lot slower. And as Needle says, you work a lot harder. Um, and there's going to be a lot of technology and a lot of innovation in that space, the mid-power EMTB space. They haven't, they're not as many of them around, but uh, I believe they're coming. And I think uh, watch this space. There'll be some nice stuff there soon. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you're sort of new to the sport and you want to get a a lot of bang for your buck in a short amount of time, then you probably want the full power one, right? You might not know much about jumping and getting the bike off the ground. Then the heavy one, I, I see the guys in my shop, I don't think you're going to notice as much. Yes, it's heavy, but you're not jumping it around. But if you've got a lot of experience in mountain biking and you want a more playful bike, that, you know, you've got to kind of understand which pro and con you want from the bike. But also, surely if he can, go test both. I know we haven't really given him a contract answer, but we and he can uh, send us a feedback, uh, send him send us a message, and we'll try give him more answers uh, if he gives us more context on that. All right, I'll move back to some of mine. I have a question for you for the podcast. I would really like to get into DH racing. I currently, just have a one forty mil trail bike, but I think I've got the potential to be really fast downhill racer, but I can't race on my current bike. But there's so many different bikes, brands. I just want to have a good race bike and hopefully win. And of course, on my Crank Brothers mallet pedals. Nice. <laughs> That's a race fan that listens to the Crank Brothers race review. Anyway, I won't go into the blab. You guys have heard that enough. But uh, thanks to Crank Brothers for supporting the podcast. And thanks to this guy. Now, I will push back. Why can't you race on a 140-mile trail bike? If that's all you've got, that's what you have to race on. I'm not saying he will be able to compete against guys on downhill bikes, depending on the track. So what is the question here, though? So many different bike brands and brands out there. I guess he's asking for our recommendations on a bike brand. I always say uh, 
if you buy new, buy from a store that you know are going to help you down the line um, because and build a relationship with the store in your area. I, I always like to say that. And that's, that's one way to do it because uh, you will need some help with stuff on the bike from time to time and that's always a, a good starting point. Um, and there's so many good good bikes these days. You, you you definitely don't need to have a carbon bike for downhill. Although personally, I still like the way carbon bikes ride. I've got myself a nice carbon downhill bike, which is which I had in Morzine. I absolutely loved it. Um, but I don't think you actually you don't you definitely don't need a carbon bike for downhill racing. Um, the good brands, obviously. I mean, I'm not affiliated to any particular brand. So I think Commensal, uh, Trek, Specialized, uh, Scott Gambler. I've got a Scott Gambler to blow me away. Um, I haven't ridden the Canyon, so I've got no idea about the Canyon. Um, did I say V10? I think the V10s, even though it might be a new one coming, but the V10 is an incredible bike um yeah i think i mean what, what do you have to say needles you, you yeah go, i mean you uh we don't have the full context but you know what countries he in what tracks are you going to ride mostly bikes can be suited to that but uh you know if he's if he's saying he feels he's going to be a potentially fast rider but he's not sure and if funds are a challenge which they damn well are um i was lucky to have parents that supported me when i was young but they are used bikes. And I think if you go used, find something that, you know, maybe someone hasn't ridden that much and is in very good nick. But, you know, there's the warranty question. So find maybe a bike brand that you do like, that you feel the geometry is going to fit your size. And then you have support, like you said, from your store or that country. You don't want to run into an issue and then you can't get a replacement frame or if something breaks, things like that but um you know the, all the top brands make good bikes <laughs> we would be doing a disservice to uh, our listeners to you know to favor just one of course i think the scott gambler is a great all-round bike i think you can uh, adapt the geometry as well as the you know it's linear as well as progressive you can run mullet so it depends what you want to get out of a bike um, yeah. pure race yeah. machine um and you can afford it there are all sorts of bikes out there yeah, I agree. Completely agree. Lots of good bikes, lots of good suspension, uh, lots of good brakes out there. It's not like 20 years ago where – do you remember the Intense era where bike brands were putting their sponsored riders onto an Intense and rebranding it because that was hands down the best bike available? And then then the iDrive, GT iDrive came around and that was hands down the best bike available. And then uh, – then it's then other brands started catching up. So from about twenty years ago, other brands started catching up, and there's now there's so much good suspension, good tires, good bike, good downhill bikes available uh, wherever you live in the world, really. So it's difficult yeah. to make the wrong decision. Yeah, and and we definitely still on the fence with some of these questions, but I think uh, it's awesome question. Um, good luck to him, and also if you don't get a bike in time, go race your one forty mil bike if the track can handle it, and go show your potential that way. You know, I started started on a fully rigid bike when I was twelve or thirteen. They didn't even <laughs> don't even sniff a downhill bike. I didn't even have suspension, um, and I I had a whale of a time. So, and there's obviously enduros you can go and get more experience at, at, at racing. You know, that's just 
couple downhill races in a day and you get fit as well. So I think you should do that as well. Greg Hall from Johannesburg in South Africa is asking, why does Shimano refuse to give us 12-speed DR2 for mountain bike? Uh, I happen to know Greg Hall. I happen to know he is in the bike industry. And uh, Greg, I'm going to bounce that question straight back at you. Um, <laughs> and what is you the second me. line of his question? What does that he mean? Also, Greg also Greg Hall also wants to know who is Mr. Bojangles. Um, and yeah, the uh, Mr. Bojangles, that's a bit of a mystery. He could be an unnamed suspect in the West Memphis three murder case, according to Wikipedia. But there also are some other theories about Mr. Bojangles. So I don't know, Andrew, you got any insights there? This sounds like it's very much directed to you because he also wants to buy a Bike Network trail jersey. Yeah, so, he wants to buy a Bike so Network trail jersey. Over um, to you, Miles. Yeah, they are in the works, Greg, the Bike Network. Thank you for your interest in the Bike Network trail jerseys. There's been a lot of interest in them, and uh, they are in the works. I will get you one. I know what size you are, and I will get one to you as soon as possible this year. Yeah, I think I, I'm not sure if I should know him, and sorry if I should, but I, I think refuse is a strong word. But I get the <laughs> the sarcasm there. Um, yeah, he's he's a good guy. Greg's a good guy. Yeah, I, no, he's he's true. a Shimano fan. I know he's a Shimano fan, so he's probably excited about. No, some as stuff. am I, and I will say, uh, you know, being a Japanese company, I think they're more conservative, and when they do something, they do it right. But that might not be as quick as a SRAM or, or someone else. Um, so maybe when it does come, it'll be damn good. But they're probably not going to release something if it's not. In the meantime, I'm going to do some more digging around on Mr. Bojangle. See what I can. Uh... Yeah, is this guy, is this a Netflix character or what is it? <laughs> Honestly, I don't know. I asked my wife about it last time when I saw the question and she just laughed at me. So... Clearly, you and our needles, we... Uh, so it's an inside yeah, joke actually, between need... you two, but you don't even know it. Correct. Um, no, he does exist, Mr. Bojangles. There's, there's a story about it on Wikipedia. So, uh, um, yeah. All um, right. But I think, Where we go? Yeah. I think I've got through those ones. Now some I'm done ones. with my questions. Are there a few? You. Might not get to all of them in this one. So, <laughs> Instagram. Where's my caricature from a Sven Martin photo? <laughs> so he's buttered, as we said in the beginning of the show. I'll have to make him one. Sven, then you have to send me a picture that you want us to mock up. And I'll know if you listen to this episode or not, because you're either going to send me the picture or not. So Sven Martin contributes to the Crank Brothers Race Review. And we've got an episode with him. And he is a huge supporter of the mountain bike industry okay well then we go to the next one do you is think he coming Crankworx... back to sorry is Sven coming back to south africa this summer or is he going to new zealand uh i think no no i think he's going to do a stint here as well so we can get him okay. into into the studio and we will get, rope him into one of these listener question ones if he wants a caricature i love watching the two of you fight in podcast so I got some feedback and I'll take it on board. Sometimes they're like, oh, it's great banter, but sometimes let Sven speak and you're butting in. I hear you. I agree. We can all be better listeners. And I took it on board and I 
And I agree to a point, but I do do it on purpose for Sven. Yeah, it riles him up. So I apologize if I butt into any other guests. I know it's about them. And, I, you know, no one's perfect. I'm trying to be a better listener. I get excited sometimes. But with Sven, I'm trying to rile him up. So it's on purpose. I didn't notice that at all. I listened to all your podcasts. I didn't notice that at all. So I, I think maybe Sven, I see a conspiracy theory here. I think Sven asked someone to send a comment in. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, if anyone butts in, it's Sven. Do you think Crankwork should be held in different places instead of the same every year? Uh, well, Whistler it has to be there. I mean, that's just an incredible week. Uh, well, I don't know. You tell me. It sounds like, uh, I mean, new venues are always awesome, aren't they? Yeah. So if they can make new venues and the um, tracks are going to be good, yeah, of course, new venues would be great. I guess it's like the World Cup, which is the next question. The Ride Companion, Davey and Ollie, host an awesome podcast. If you if you want to check them out, if you haven't, what track location is missing from the World Cup circuit? So I guess it's similar to the previous question. I'll just say, without thinking too hard, Schladming in Austria was always a rider favorite, as well as it made for good filming, uh, epic videos. Uh, I'd say Schladming in Austria is one of the – there's not not every downhill World Cup track, I'll say, is fun to ride as a rider. You, you're not always going to go ask your mates to go for runs at Fort William. Out there. I, I certainly wasn't. But if someone said you want to go do laps at Schladming, let's go. That's uh, – isn't Blanky win there? Uh, Blanky got his only first win, win there. Brendan famously was up on Sam Hill and turfed it sort of 40 seconds from the finish. Sam Hill's had some famous wins there. It's an incredible, incredible track, yeah. Okay. Looks and good. You? I've seen what, some. I've seen what about me? What track do you think's missing that you liked watching or seeing? Uh, Peter Maritzburg. Can <laughs> <Pretty> get, <laughs> <lots of, laughs> oh, get lots get, of hate messages coming through? So much hate. <laughs> Oh, because it's Africa. We've got to have a World Cup in, in Africa. I mean, we haven't had one for like four years now. The last one was the XE one. The last downhill World Cup we had was almost, I don't know, eight, nine years ago. Um, that pedal section's not as bad because it's like a supercross section. Now. It's like Anaheim White. There's lots of big backsides. There's lots of rolling stuff to keep a speed up. And uh, it's uh, these are bicycles, you know. You've got to pedal them. So I'd love to see a World Cup at Peter Maritzburg, and it's probably the best venue in South Africa for a World Cup race, although Hell's End where Darkfest is is also kind of good. I just don't know if the track is long enough. The downhill tracks, they are long enough. No, for, it's not long enough. Cup. Not long enough. Yeah. But Maritzburg can look good on – doesn't look that bad on filming, I don't think. Yeah, the pedal section is definitely a lot better, isn't it? And as long as Greg's still racing, you definitely want to have it in that town. If he hangs up the boots, maybe move it to Stellenbosch or something. But, um, I mean, that's a long shuttle. So technically you could do it at other places if you get the correct vehicles and enough of them. Yeah. So there's nothing stopping you from trying to get to, to other proper venues again. And it is a long shuttle at Peter Maritzburg, but, you know, maybe if if uh, the riders are making the effort to come all this way, maybe the UCI can change the ruling a little bit for, or change the schedule a little bit for a World Cup in 
South Africa and give the guys extra practice time, maybe an extra practice day like they do at World Champs, you know. Um, yeah, I think there are ways around it, yeah. I think if it's going to be a world, like, I mean, it is a World Cup, but I think uh, we need to get onto as many continents as possible. Japan's actually a great one. I think Japan was... Yes, I that remember, track looked insane. Google uh, the Japanese. Japanese World Cup was 01. When did they go there? Maybe 2001. Yeah, Arai. I remember Greg always speaks highly of that track, and I think that would be an incredible one. Although, you know, you don't want too many planes in the air carrying the riders all over the show back and forth. So you have to maybe plan the World Cup better so they can follow, you know, there's less travel, but then have the World Cup in as many regions as possible. I don't know. That's my five cents. No, Did we go off topic enough. there? I hope we went off topic. Isn't that the point? <laughs> it's totally the point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we got to this. We got to Fred's question because it was the Whistler Morzine. I ride 180 mil single crown bike, bit of bike park. I don't race. Yep. We answered that. Um, he can be stoked on either, depending on where he lives and how much money he's got. You should just try to do both. Why not? Yeah. Bike yeah, holidays exactly. are the thing, man. Everyone goes on these ski holidays. If you've been on one of those, think about it for bikes. Uh, Greg's crew, his One Life crew, or some of them were at Leger. And they stayed afterwards, and they said they're going to come every year. So think about you know going up in the lift with your mates, talking a bunch of shit, and then having a big day on the hill and earning those beers uh, afterwards, and then going on another adventure like you do skiing. You know, you go into different zones and have lunch, have an apri ski. Uh, it's probably a little safer on skis than having a few drinks in the afternoon and then riding. I wouldn't recommend do, that. Do you think I could bore the listeners with uh, two minutes a day in the life of my holiday in Morzine? little story? Yeah, well, just don't make it a boring story. Then you won't bore okay. it. <laughs> Wake up. Send your mates for uh, coffee and pastries. He comes back. You smash your breakfast. Uh in the queue, in the lift, in the queue for the lift at like eight thirty. Uh, half an hour later, you're at the top of the first lift. Two hours later, you've ridden four lifts, and you now have crossed from Morzine, France, into Switzerland, um, and you've ridden tra- trails to get there. So now it's like ten, eleven o'clock. Roll down to Morjon, do three, four laps of Morjon, have lunch at the supermarket at the base of Morjon. Um, do some more laps at Morjan, pedal over Padamorjan, a climb that the Tour de France goes on, pedal over Padamorjan, drop down into Chateau, catch the bus to Chateau Bike Park, um, do some laps, uh, and then make your way back home. 65, 70Ks, um, like your hands will be sore, and when you roll back into Morzine, go straight to Roger's Bar, have two, three beers, and then go back to your self-catering unit and put a barbecue on. I mean, what, like nine hours out there, make sure you get comfortable uh, protection. Like you want comfortable knee pads, you want a comfortable helmet because you're going to be out there for nine hours. Um, like that was a day, we did 15 days of that kind of stuff. And yeah, my hands were broken, my body was broken, but like it just doesn't, it, like that is bike holidays, man. I'm a big fan now. Like, I parked my racing, my like racing stints that I do every now and then. I parked that. I'm, I'm a bike holiday fan. 
That's amazing, man. But we've seen that a lot in South Africa. The guys get into it through marathon racing that the the late Barry Stunder sort of made famous for us with the Cape Epic. And and then we see guys in the shop and then they kind of get a bit hot for and then they go up in these trail parks, you know, which are like bike parks in Europe. But in South Africa, we have trail parks and professionally made trails, which are epic. And the guys are like, wow, biking's so fun. You can just ride up with your mates leisurely. You get fit. And then the downhills, you know, once you get a bit of skill, that's the fun part, isn't it? That's the adrenaline, the meditation we spoke about. You know, when you're on a trail that's maybe a little bit above your pay grade, you can't think about much else. Yeah, so, so, uh, yeah that's totally so cool. South Africa has always been skewed to the endurance market, and uh, it's now um, mid-travel trail bikes is one of the fastest-growing categories in South Africa for that exact reason. You know, guys don't have – 10, 15 hours a week uh, anymore to train to do these long endurance races, but they have five, six hours to go to their little bike park and do laps on mid-travel and trail bikes. So uh, we're South Africa's embracing different genres of riding at last, which is amazing. And I didn't even plan this, <clears throat> excuse me, but uh Clearly, I'm getting better at this hosting thing. What does, no, sorry, why do some MTBers go rogue riding? So speaking of all these trail parks, rogue riding maybe is a South African word, but it's you don't buy a permit and you go ride somewhere that is private or even sort of public, but you need to pay for your day pass there. So that would be like sneaking on a lift in Europe. That would be like sneaking on a golf course without paying your fees. And now these gentlemen some think they are too entitled to pay a small day fee or a year permit fee which is super minimal to go ride these professionally built trails my answer is some of them are just entitled some of them have been doing this so some of them have been riding these areas that before they were formalized and built and a lot of money invested um, and I think they haven't maybe lifted a shovel in their lives to understand how much work and money goes in. And once you do that, you don't want to ride for free, even though you think you can sneak in. So, um, yeah, you can hear I don't condone it. I think there are a lot of people that earn their wage, and it's not a huge wage from being trail builders, and they give us so much joy. So I think we should support the scene. Enough with this rogue riding. And guys, understand there's liability indemnity on these lands these landowners if you cause trouble there they're just going to shut it down so just uh, understand that the scene has changed yeah completely agree be responsible out there and support the trail builders and even more so support the companies that are sponsoring the trails and trail builders in your region because without them there'd be no trails there'd be you know you'd have to jump on a road bike and uh well, I like road road riding, but uh, not too much of it. So you know, um, road riding is uh, you're an idiot. If you if you road ride, I'll say it right here. You heard you heard it here. You're an idiot. Yeah, and like if you make a mistake and you didn't see the the snap scan and you honestly have ridden there for the first time, fine. Big apology. Ask where you can send a donation or something like. We're not talking about a lot of money, but there's definitely guys that are just consistently doing it. Come on. If you want to go ride some crap trails and or go dig in the dirt yourself, find your own place. 
But if you could just understand how much time and effort and money goes into just maintaining the trails we have, let alone building these new ones. Yeah, I agree. And Milo, so we touched on it a bit with the gentleman's discussion about bikes being more affordable. Yeah, where do you think it's going if it seems like innovation is going to incrementally move forward? Which means we're so lucky, you know, we've got the disc brake, we've got the suspension, we've got the dropper as we spoke about it. Is it in the e-bike space? Is it just fine-tuning what we already have? Uh, what do you see? Um, I think I think it's, uh, in a way, it's naive to assume there'll be no more innovation. I think there'll be a lot of innovation in the e-bike space um, because it's bringing new people to the sport. And there's so many pluses around e-bikes. So I think there'll be a lot of innovation there. Not because the bike industry wants to make money. It's because there is new technology which improves the riding experience. So I think there'll be a lot of innovation in e-bike space. Um, And then I think the innovation should really come from using better materials, using more friendly materials so you know r- right now there's a there's a few options for frame construction for what materials are used in a frame but maybe maybe in five or ten years maybe there'll be other options available for bike brands to that are more planet friendly um for for the frame itself um you know maybe there'll be more you know, I'd like to see more more planet-friendly options, maybe more planet-friendly tire options. Um, and so that's the one thing is materials. That would be interesting. That will be cool. I don't know that, it, that that's possible and going to happen, but who knows? You know, we can send uh, – Elon Musk can do all sorts of things, spend umpteen dollars sending rockets all over the universe um you know who who knows what can be done here if we spent the money to look after this planet as opposed to try and find another planet but that's a whole podcast i'm not going to go down that rabbit hole (laughs) that's Um, a joe rogan podcast for sure totally uh i think i think um i think the innovation could be in making things more affordable or in stopping uh, you, you know, finding a way to keep producing quality products that last a long time that are um, performance uh, performance orientated, but reduce the costs so we can hopefully move away from annual bike price increases. You know, it's five percent, four percent, three percent, ten percent. You know, there's there's always these annual increases on everything, but maybe the innovation will go into better manufacturing techniques, better supply chains, uh, maybe opening factories in different regions, so not having everything built in the same region and then it has to be shipped from a specific place. So I think everything's changed recently with this pandemic and I think a lot of things are... Uh, there's a lot of possibilities. It's going to be very interesting to see which way it goes. As for the bikes themselves, geometry stabilized. Bikes can't really get any longer. They can't get any lower. They can't get much slacker. 
Although I think this afternoon I'm riding a 140 millimeter bike that's got a 63 head angle. I mean, how amazing is that? But yeah, the geometry can't really change too much more. And we've, like you said, we've got dropper posts, we've got hydraulic brakes, we've got one by drive trains. Um, it's the small tweaks now for marginal gains on the on the bikes themselves. That's where I think the the, the innovation will be. What do you think? Yeah, well, I was just thinking that you know if the margins can come down for the consumer, that's great. But you know if we don't, you know if the companies don't keep with their profits, then they don't innovate as much because they use the profits to go back into innovation and figuring out all these new things. You know, it's like a cycle. So that'll be be interesting, but I think the the e bike space. I mean, the sky's the limit at this stage. I mean, you can't innovation is not a sort of linear line. You know, it sort of goes up exponentially. So what what I think is going to happen in ten years might happen a lot quicker, and what I think that's going to look like it's going to be even more impressive. So yeah, I mean, I think I see e bikes. Being potentially so light, you barely notice the difference. Uh, you can take the battery out, I guess, and ride it as a normal one. If you forget to charge it, these sort of things. <laughs> Do they self-charge themselves when you're going down the hill? I don't know. If you put, you know, like how a car, if you put it into that mode, then uh, it sort of charges itself. If you're, you know, cruising home, you want to get a little bit more battery. That all adds weight, of course, but in the long run, I think you know batteries get lighter, smaller motors get better, smaller. Yeah, it, it, uh, I'm very excited about that space, for absolute sure. Yeah, and maybe um, like we've been riding for a long time, so we always. I mean, we've been at this in this space before. We like you were a professional athlete for 14 years, 13 years you were always on the latest available product. And sometimes the product you were riding wasn't even available, the black box technology and whatever it was. Uh, and it always was incredibly impressive at the time. And looking back, we probably had these emotions and or probably had these thoughts like, wow, like this Manitou Dorado fork is just incredible and suspension will never be able to get better. You know what I mean? Uh, or whatever product it is, and then obviously the suspension nowadays is is has improved. So who knows? You know, maybe I've got it completely wrong. Maybe there are going to be massive changes to the bikes we ride. Maybe they're going to look different. Maybe they're going to be made of different product, made of different things. Maybe the geometry will be completely different, um, and maybe suspension will be easier to set up for everyone you know maybe uh bikes will be easier to set up maybe brakes will be more bomb proof you know for especially for gravity riding maybe maybe like, like chains shouldn't come off on a downhill bike on a world cup downhill bike downhill in a downhill race like i got a problem with that like this is 2022. I mean, 2006 called guys and said, "Please keep your chains." Oh, please, you know what I mean? Like, those are the problems well, we Honda had. Honda did it. Honda did it. They went internal back then, but uh, it has its pros and cons. Yeah, it's interesting. Hey, and we still get flat I, I, tires. 
we still have flat tires and we still have chains coming off. And like not, I mean, we don't really have so many chains snapping anymore, but we're having chains come off on different brands. So like that shouldn't be happening. Um, so maybe maybe there's drive maybe it's drivetrain innovation maybe it's drivetrain and gearbox innovation and that we'll see to make to make bikes more reliable. Milo, thanks so much. I think that's a great way to end. Thanks to everyone that sends in questions. Hit us up on Instagram. We'll do uh, it a little bit more regularly, probably now that the race season is finished. And if you enjoyed this style of content. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcast or uh, hit that five star on Spotify. And uh, if you like more interview-based ones, Flo Payette, epic interview. That was the last one before this, so you can check out the archives. Till the next one, guys. Peace out. Stay well. Thanks to you, Miles. Everyone, keep it pinned. Catch you next time. This episode is brought to you by Kenda Tires. With over 60 years of experience in manufacturing tires, Kenda has been offering high-quality rubber products for bicycles, cars, light trucks, motorcycles, ATVs, trailers, carts, golf carts. The list goes on since 1962. With offices and factories across Asia, North America, Europe, Kenda distributes its products globally and employs more than 10,000 people. Now listen to this number. They produce more than 800,000 tires and tubes daily. It's easy to see why Kenda is one of the top five largest bicycle tire manufacturers in the world. Now I am lucky to be supported by them and I helped design, develop, I was involved in the passion and the work that they put into developing the new range of bicycle tires that they have that people use and compete on the World Cup circuit. 